0: Chapter fifty one Part eight of the History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, Volume five. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by m b. Chapter fifty one Conquests by the Arabs Part eight the western conquests of the saracens were suspended near twenty years till their dissensions were composed by the establishment of the house of omea and the caliph Moawiyah was invited by the cries of the africans themselves the successors of heraclius had been informed of the tribute which they had been compelled to stipulate with the arabs but instead of being moved to pity and relieve their distress they imposed, as an equivalent or a fine, a second tribute of a similar amount. The ears of the Byzantine ministers were shut against the complaints of their poverty and ruin. Their despair was reduced to prefer the dominion of a single master. And the extortions of the patriarch of Carthage, who was invested with civil and military power, provoked the sectaries, and even the Catholics of the Roman province, to abjure the religion as well as the authority of their tyrants. The first lieutenant of Moaia acquired a just renown, subdued an important city, defeated an army of thirty thousand Greeks, swept away fourscore thousand captives, and enriched with their spoils the bold adventures of Syria and Egypt. But the title of conqueror of Africa is more justly due to his successor, Akbar, he marched from Damascus at the head of 10,000 of the bravest Arabs, and the genuine force of the Moslems was enlarged by the doubtful aid and conversion of many thousand barbarians. It would be difficult, nor is it necessary, to trace the accurate line of the progress of Akba. The interior regions have been peopled by the Orientals with fictitious armies and imaginary citadels. In the warlike province of Zab or Numidia, Four score thousand of the natives might assemble in arms, but the number of three hundred and sixty towns is incompatible with the ignorance or decay of husbandry, and a circumference of three leagues will not be justified by the ruins of Erbi or Lambesa, the ancient metropolis of that inland country. As we approach the sea coast, the well-known cities of Bugia and Tangier define the more certain limits of the Saracen victories. A remnant of trade still adheres to the commodious harbour of bugia which in a more prosperous age is said to have contained about twenty thousand homes and the plenty of iron which is dug from the adjacent mountains might have supplied a braver people with the instruments of defence the remote position and venerable antiquity of tingi or tangier have been decorated by the greek and arabian fables but the figurative expressions of the latter that the walls were constructed of brass and that the roofs were covered with gold and silver may be interpreted as the emblems of strength and opulence the provinces of mauritania tingitana which assumed the name of the capital had been imperfectly discovered and settled by the romans the five colonies were confined to a narrow pale and the more southern parts were seldom explored except by the agents of luxury who searched the forest for ivory and the citron wood, and the shores of the ocean for the purple shellfish. The fearless Akbah plunged into the heart of the country, traversed the wilderness in which his successors erected the splendid capitals of Fez and Morocco, and at length penetrated to the verge of the Atlantic and the great desert. The river Seuss descends from the western sides of Mount Atlas fertilizes, like the Nile, the adjacent soil, and falls into the sea at a moderate distance from the Canary or Fortunate Islands. Its banks were inhabited by the last of the Moors, a race of savages without laws or discipline or religion, and they were astonished by the strange and irresistible terror of the Oriental arms. And as they possessed neither gold nor silver, the richest spoil was the beauty of the female captives, some of whom were afterwards sold for a thousand pieces of gold. The career, though not the zeal of Akbar, was checked by the prospect of a boundless ocean. He spurred his horse into the waves, and raising his eyes to heaven, exclaimed with the tone of a fanatic, Great God, if my course were not stopped by this sea, I would still go on to the unknown kingdoms of the West, preaching the unity of thy holy name, and putting to the sword the rebellious nations who worship any other gods than thee. Yet this Mohammedan Alexander, who sighed for new worlds, was unable to preserve his recent conquests. By the universal defection of the Greeks and Africans he was recalled from the shores of the Atlantic, and the surrounding multitudes left him only the resource of an honourable death. The last scene was dignified by an example of national virtue. An ambitious chief, who had disputed the command and failed in the attempt, was led about as a prisoner in the camp of the arabian general the insurgents had trusted to his discontent and revenge he disdained their offers and revealed their designs in the hour of danger the grateful akbar unlocked his fetters and advised him to retire he chose to die under the banner of his rival embracing his friends and martyrs they unsheathed their scimitars broke their scabbards, and maintained an obstinate combat till they fell by each other's side on the last of their slaughtered countrymen. The third general, or governor of Africa, Suhir, avenged and encountered the fate of his predecessor. He vanquished the natives in many battles. He was overthrown by a powerful army, which Constantinople had sent to the relief of Carthage. It had been the frequent practice of the Moorish tribes to join the invaders, to share the plunder, to profess the faith, and to revolt to their savage state of independence and idolatry on the first retreat or misfortune of the Muslims. The prudence of Akba had proposed to found an Arabian colony in the heart of Africa, a citadel that might curb the levity of the barbarians, a place of refuge to secure, against the accidents of war, the wealth and the families of the Saracens. With this view, and under the modest title of the station of a caravan, he planted this colony in the fiftieth year of the Hegira. In the present day, Cairoan still holds the second rank in the kingdom of Tunis, from which it is now distant about fifty miles to the south. Its inland situation, twelve miles westward of the sea, has protected the city from the Greek and Sicilian fleets. When the wild beasts and serpents were extirpated, when the forest, or rather wilderness, was cleared, the vestiges of a Roman town were discovered in a sandy plain. The vegetable food of Cairoan is brought in from afar, and the scarcity of springs, constrains the inhabitants to collect in cisterns and reservoirs a precious supply of rainwater. These obstacles were subdued by the industry of Akbar. He traced a circumference of three thousand and six hundred paces, which he encompassed with a brick wall. In the space of five years the governor's palace was surrounded with a sufficient number of private habitations. A spacious mosque was supported by five hundred columns of granite, porphyry and numidian marble and cairoan became the seat of learning as well as of empire but these were the glories of a later age the new colony was shaken by the successive defeats of akba and Zuhir, and the western expeditions were again interrupted by the civil discord of the arabian monarchy the son of the valiant Zobir maintained a war of twelve years A siege of seven months against the house of Omia, Abdallah was said to unite the fierceness of the lion with the subtlety of the fox. But if he inherited the courage, he was devoid of the generosity of his father. The return of domestic peace allowed the caliph Abdel Malik to resume the conquest of Africa. The standard was delivered to Hassan, governor of Egypt, and the revenue of that kingdom with an army of 40,000 men, was consecrated to the important service. In the vicissitudes of war, the interior provinces had been alternately won and lost by the Saracens. But the sea coast still remained in the hands of the Greeks. The predecessors of Hassan had respected the name and fortifications of Carthage, and the number of its defenders was recruited by the fugitives of Cabas and Tripoli. The arms of Hassan, were bolder and more fortunate he reduced and pillaged the metropolis of africa and the mention of scaling-ladders may justify the suspicion that he anticipated by a sudden assault the more tedious operations of a regular siege but the joy of the conquerors was soon disturbed by the appearance of the christian succors the prefect and patrician john a general of experience and renown embarked at constantinople the forces of the eastern empire they were joined by the ships and soldiers of sicily and a powerful reinforcement of goths was obtained from the fears and religion of the spanish monarch the weight of the confederate navy broke the chain that guarded the entrance of the harbour the arabs retired to cairoan or tripoli the christians landed the citizens hailed the ensign of the cross and the winter was idly wasted in the dream of victory or deliverance. But Africa was irrecoverably lost. The zeal and resentment of the commander of the faithful prepared in the ensuing spring a more numerous armament by sea and land, and the patrician, in his turn, was compelled to evacuate the post and fortifications of Carthage. A second battle was fought in the neighborhood of Utica. The Greeks and Goths were again defeated, and their timely embarkation saved them from the sword of hassan who had invested the slight and insufficient rampart of their camp whatever yet remained of carthage was delivered to the flames and the colony of dido and caesar lay desolate above two hundred years till a part perhaps a twentieth of the old circumference was repeopled by the first of the fatimite caliphs in the beginning of the sixteenth century The second capital of the West was represented by a mosque, a college without students, twenty-five or thirty shops, and the huts of five hundred peasants, who, in their abject poverty, displayed the arrogance of Punic senators. Even that paltry village was swept away by the Spaniards whom Charles V had stationed in the fortress of the Goleta. The ruins of Carthage have perished, and the place might be unknown— if some broken arches of an aqueduct did not guide the footsteps of the inquisitive traveller. The Greeks were expelled, but the Arabians were not yet masters of the country. In the interior provinces the Moors or Berbers, so feeble under the first Caesars, so formidable to the Byzantine princes, maintained a disorderly resistance to the religion and power of the successors of Mohammed. Under the standard of their queen, Kahina, the independent tribes acquired some degree of union and discipline, and as the Moors respected in their females the character of a prophetess, they attacked the invaders with an enthusiasm similar to their own. The veteran bands of Hassan were inadequate to the defense of Africa. The conquests of an age were lost in a single day, and the Arabian chief overwhelmed by the torrent retired to the confines of egypt and expected five years the promised succours of the caliph after the retreat of the saracens the victorious prophetess assembled the moorish chiefs and recommended a measure of strange and savage policy our cities said she and the gold and silver which they contain perpetually attract the arms of the arabs these vile metals are not the objects of our ambition We content ourselves with the simple productions of the earth. Let us destroy these cities. Let us bury in their ruins those pernicious treasures, and when the avarice of our foes shall be destitute of temptation, perhaps they will cease to disturb the tranquillity of a warlike people. The proposal was accepted with unanimous applause. From Tangier to Tripoli, the buildings, or at least the fortifications, were demolished, The fruit-trees were cut down, the means of subsistence were extirpated, a fertile and populous garden was changed into a desert, and the historians of a more recent period could discern the frequent traces of the prosperity and devastation of their ancestors. Such is the tale of the modern Arabians. Yet I strongly suspect that their ignorance of antiquity, the love of the marvellous, and the fashion of extolling the philosophy of barbarians, has induced them to describe, as one voluntary act, the calamities of three hundred years since the first fury of the Donatists and Vandals. In the progress of the revolt, Cahina had most probably contributed her share of destruction and the alarm of universal ruin might terrify and alienate the cities that had reluctantly yielded to her unworthy yoke they no longer hoped perhaps they no longer wished the return of their byzantine sovereigns their present servitude was not alleviated by the benefits of order and justice and the most zealous catholic must prefer the imperfect truce of the koran to the blind and rude idolatry of the moors the general of the Saracens was again received as the saviour of the province. The friends of civil society conspired against the savages of the land, and the royal prophetess was slain in the first battle, which overturned the baseless fabric of her superstition and empire. The same spirit revived under the successor of Hassan. It was finally quelled by the activity of Musa and his two sons, But the number of the rebels may be presumed from that of 300,000 captives, 60,000 of whom, the caliph's fifth, were sold for the profit of the public treasury. 30,000 of the barbarian youth were enlisted in the troops, and the pious labors of Musa, to inculcate the knowledge and practice of the Koran, accustomed the Africans to obey the apostle of God and the commander of the faithful. In their climate and government, their diet and habitation, the wandering Moors resembled the Bedouins of the desert. With the religion they were proud to adopt the language, name, and origin of Arabs. The blood of the strangers and natives was insensibly mingled, and from the Euphrates to the Atlantic the same nation might seem to be diffused over the sandy plains of Asia and Africa. Yet I will not deny that 50,000 tents of pure Arabians might be transported over the Nile and scattered through the Libyan desert, and I am not ignorant that five of the Moorish tribes still retain their barbarous idiom with the appellation and character of white Africans. In the progress of conquest from the north and south, the Goths and the Saracens encountered each other on the confines of Europe and Africa in the opinion of the latter the difference of religion is a reasonable ground of enmity and warfare as early as the time of othman their piratical squadrons had ravaged the coast of andalusia nor had they forgotten the relief of carthage by the gothic succors in that age as well as in the present the kings of spain were possessed of the fortress of ceuta one of the columns of hercules which is divided by a narrow strait from the opposite pillar or point of Europe. A small portion of Mauritania was still wanting to the African conquest. But Musa, in the pride of victory, was repulsed from the walls of Ceuta by the vigilance and courage of Count Julian, the general of the Goths. From his disappointment and perplexity, Musa was relieved by an unexpected message of the Christian chief, who offered his place, his person, and his sword to the successors of Mahomet, and solicited the disgraceful honor of introducing their arms into the heart of Spain. If we inquire into the cause of his treachery, the Spaniards will repeat the particular story of his daughter Cava, of a virgin who was seduced or ravished, by her sovereign of a father who sacrificed his religion and country to the thirst of revenge the passions of princes have often been licentious and destructive but this well-known tale romantic in itself is indifferently supported by external evidence and the history of spain will suggest some motive of interest and in policy more congenial to the breast of a veteran statesman after the decease or deposition of Witiza his two sons were supplanted by the ambition of Roderick, a noble goth, whose father, the duke or governor of a province, had fallen a victim to the preceding tyranny. The monarchy was still elective, but the sons of Witiza, educated on the steps of the throne, were impatient of a private station. Their resentment was the more dangerous, as it was varnished with the dissimulation of courts, their followers were excited by the remembrance of favours and the promise of a revolution, and their uncle Opus, Archbishop of Toledo and Seville, was the first person in the church, and the second in the state. It is probable that Julian was involved in the disgrace of the unsuccessful faction, that he had little to hope and much to fear from the new reign, and that the imprudent king could not forget or forgive the injuries which Roderick, and his family had sustained. The merit and influence of the count rendered him a useful or formidable subject. His estates were ample, his followers bold and numerous, and it was too fatally shown that, by his Andalusian and Mauritanian commands, he held in his hand the keys of the Spanish monarchy. Too feeble, however, to meet his sovereign in arms, he sought the aid of a foreign power and his rash invitation of the moors and arabs produced the calamities of eight hundred years in his epistles or in a personal interview he revealed the wealth and nakedness of his country the weakness of an unpopular prince the degeneracy of an effeminate people the goths were no longer the victorious barbarians who had humbled the pride of rome despoiled the Queen of Nations, and penetrated from the Danube to the Atlantic Ocean. Secluded from the world by the Pyrenean mountains, the successors of Alaric had slumbered in a long peace. The walls of the cities were mouldered into dust, the youth had abandoned the exercise of arms, and the presumption of their ancient renown would expose them in a field of battle to the first assault of the invaders." The ambitious Saracen was fired by the ease and importance of the attempt, but the execution was delayed till he had consulted the commander of the faithful, and his messenger returned with the permission of Walid to annex the unknown kingdoms of the West to the religion and throne of the Caliphs. In his residence of Tangier, Musa, with secrecy and caution, continued his correspondence and hastened his preparations. But the remorse of the conspirators was soothed by the fallacious assurance that he should content himself with the glory and spoil, without aspiring to establish the Moslems beyond the sea that separates Africa from Europe. Before Musa would trust an army of the faithful to the traitors and infidels of a foreign land, he made a less dangerous trial of their strength and veracity, One hundred Arabs and four hundred Africans passed over in four vessels from Tangier to Ceuta. The place of their descent on the opposite shore of the strait is marked by the name of Tarif, their chief, and the date of this memorable event is fixed to the month of Ramadan, of the 91st year of the Hegira, to the month of July, 748 years from the Spanish era of Caesar, 710 after the birth of Christ. From their first station they marched eighteen miles through a hilly country to the castle and town of Julian, on which it is still called al They bestowed the name of the Green Island, from a verdant cape that advances into the sea. Their hospitable entertainment, the Christians who joined their standard, their inroad into a fertile and unguarded province the richness of their spoil and the safety of their return announced to their brethren and the most favorable omens of victory in the ensuing spring five thousand veterans and volunteers were embarked under the command of tarik a dauntless and skilful soldier who surpassed the expectation of his chief and the necessary transports were provided by the industry of their too faithful ally The Saracens landed at the pillar or point of Europe. The corrupt and familiar appellation of Gibraltar, Jebel al-Tariq, describes the mountain of Tariq, and the entrenchments of his camp were the first outline of those fortifications which, in the hands of our countrymen, have resisted the art and power of the House of Bourbon. The adjacent governors informed the court of Toledo of the descent and progress of the arabs and the defeat of his lieutenant Edeco, who had been commanded to seize and bind the presumptuous strangers admonished roderick of the magnitude of the danger at the royal summons the dukes and counts the bishops and nobles of the gothic monarchy assembled at the head of their followers and the title of king of the romans which is employed by an arabic historian may be excused by the close affinity of language, religion, and manners between the nations of Spain. His army consisted of ninety or a hundred thousand men, a formidable power if their fidelity and discipline had been adequate to their numbers. The troops of Tariq had been augmented to twelve thousand Saracens, but the Christian malcontents were attracted by the influence of Julian, and a crowd of Africans most greedily tasted the temporal blessings of the Koran. In the neighborhood of Cadiz, the town of Zeres has been illustrated by the encounter which determined the fate of the kingdom. The stream of the Guadalete, which falls into the bay, divided the two camps, and marked the advancing and retreating skirmishes of three successive and bloody days. On the fourth day, the two armies joined a more serious and decisive issue. But Alaric would have blushed at the sight of his unworthy successor, sustaining on his head a diadem of pearls encumbered with a flowing robe of gold and silken embroidery, and reclining on a litter or car of ivory drawn by two white mules. Notwithstanding the valor of the Saracens, they fainted under the weight of multitudes, and the plain of Zeres, was overspread with 16,000 of their dead bodies. "'My brethren,' said Tarek to his surviving companions, "'the enemy is before you, the sea is behind. Whither would ye fly? Follow your general. I am resolved either to lose my life or to trample on the prostrate king of the Romans.'" Besides the resource of despair, he confided in the secret correspondence and nocturnal interviews of Count Julian with the sons and the brother of Witiza. The two princes and the Archbishop of Toledo occupied the most important post. Their well-timed defection broke the ranks of the Christians. Each warrior was prompted by fear or suspicion to consult his personal safety, and the remains of the Gothic army were scattered or destroyed in the flight and pursuit of the three following days. Amidst the general disorder, Roderick started from his car and mounted Aurelia, the fleetest of the horses. But he escaped from a soldier's death to perish more nobly in the waters of the Bitis or Guadalquivir. His diadem, his robes, and his courser were found on the bank, but as the body of the Gothic prince was lost in the waves, the pride and the ignorance of the caliph must have been gratified with some meaner head, which was exposed in triumph before the palace of Damascus. And such, continues a valiant historian of the Arabs, is the fate of those kings who withdraw themselves from a field of battle. Count Julian had plunged so deep into guilt and infamy that his only hope was in the ruin of his country. After the Battle of Zeres, he recommended the most effectual measures to the victorious Saracen. The king of the Goths is slain, their princes have fled before you the army is routed the nation is astonished secure with sufficient detachments the cities of batica but in person and without delay march to the royal city of toledo and allow not the distracted christians either time or tranquillity for the election of a new monarch taric listened to his advice a roman captive and proselyte who had been enfranchised by the caliph himself assaulted Cordova with 700 horse. He swam the river, surprised the town, and drove the Christians into the great church, where they defended themselves above three months. Another detachment reduced the sea-coast of Batica, which in the last period of the Moorish power had comprised in a narrow space the populous kingdom of Grenada. The march of Tariq from the Batisse to the Tagus was directed through the Sierra Morena. That separates Andalusia and Castile, till he appeared in arms under the walls of Toledo. The most zealous of the Catholics had escaped with the relics of their saints, and if the gates were shut, it was only till the victor had subscribed a fair and reasonable capitulation. The voluntary exiles were allowed to depart with their effects. Seven churches were appropriated to the Christian worship. The archbishop and his clergy were at liberty to exercise their functions, the monks to practice or neglect their penance, and the Goths and Romans were left, in all civil and criminal cases, to the subordinate jurisdiction of their own laws and magistrates. But if the justice of Tarek protected the Christians, his gratitude and policy rewarded the Jews, to whose secrets or open aid he was indebted for his most important acquisitions, persecuted by the kings and synods of Spain, who had often pressed the alternative of banishment or baptism, that outcast nation embraced the moment of revenge. The comparison of their past and present state was the pledge of their fidelity, and the alliance between the disciples of Moses and of Mohammed was maintained until the final era of their common expulsion. From the royal seat of Toledo, the Arabian leader spread his conquests to the north over the modern realms of Castile and Leon. But it is needless to enumerate the cities that he yielded on his approach, or again to describe the table of emerald transported from the east by the Romans, acquired by the Goths among the spoils of Rome, and presented by the Arabs to the throne of Damascus. Beyond the Asturian mountains, the maritime town of Gijon was the term of the lieutenant of musa who had performed with the speed of a traveller his victorious march of seven hundred miles from the rock of gibraltar to the bay of biscay the failure of land compelled him to retreat and he was recalled to toledo to excuse the presumption of subduing a kingdom in the absence of his general spain which in a more savage and disorderly state had resisted two hundred years the arms of the romans was overrun in a few months by those of the Saracens, and such was the eagerness of submission and treaty that the governor of Cordova is recorded as the only chief who fell, without conditions, a prisoner into their hands. The cause of the Goths had been irrevocably judged in the field of Zeres, and in the national dismay, each part of the monarchy declined a contest with the antagonist who had vanquished the united strength of the whole." That strength had been wasted by two successive seasons of famine and pestilence, and the governors, who were impatient to surrender, might exaggerate the difficulty of collecting the provisions of a siege. To disarm the Christians, superstition likewise contributed her terrors, and the subtle Arab encouraged the report of dreams, omens, and prophecies, and the portraits of the destined conquerors of Spain that were discovered on breaking open an apartment of the royal palace. Yet a spark of the vital flame was still alive. Some invincible fugitives preferred a life of poverty and freedom in the Asturian valleys. The hardy mountaineers repulsed the slaves of the caliph, and the sword of Pelagius has been transformed into the scepter of the Catholic kings. End of chapter 51 Part 8